is our living hope, which is awesome. So today's theme is life in God's kingdom, and I was reflecting a little bit about that, and I think life in God's kingdom can be a little clunky at times. In this last week, I've been reading a lot more of um, Henry Nowen, and I know he's been spoken of up the front here before, and it's intriguing. He was a very learned, deep-thinking, spiritual man, eloquent in speech, amazing. And yet some of the people he connected with towards the end of his life, those words <laughs> would have been over their head. The words, or the, it wasn't words that actually they would respond to, but his acts of love and kindness. And that seemed to link into what this theme was, a theme that I wrote down many years ago from up the front from Henry Nguyen, or Nguyen, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name is God, help me to see others not as enemies or ungodly, but rather as thirsty people. And give me courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches deep thirst. Those words resonated me a while ago, and I've been reminded about that in the last week. The, we've got two Bible readings today. The first is from Paul in Romans. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The second reading is written in the book of Mark, chapter 1, reading from verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Pastor Peter. And as you'll hear, as you've heard, we're looking at the theme, Life in God's Kingdom. It's 
what you get when I come to preach. You either get the Father, heart of God or the kingdom of God. I looked up the Bible reading for today and the gospel was Matthew, uh, Mark 1, starting at verse 14. So you're getting the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that your son Jesus came to show us your realm, your kingdom rule, your kingdom authority, your kingdom heart, your kingdom love. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to expand our hearts and minds, to give us a kingdom rethink so that we begin to see life and you and others the way you see them. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and King. Amen. As we look at uh, life in God's kingdom, I want you to see the expanse of God's kingdom. So the kingdom of God is, is so expanding, it's, it's so far-reaching. One of the problems that we have today is that we live in a society that is based around institutions and human institutions. And I want you to hear me clearly and correctly, institutions aren't bad. The problem with institutions is that we then become institutionalised. So placing your aged parent in a nursing home, which is an institution, isn't bad. Never visiting them or never caring for them or not having enough staff or not giving them proper meals means that they've become institutionalised. Sending your kids to school, which is an institution, isn't bad. Presuming that a school is the sole place for the education of your children is not helpful. The church, as it's become known today, is an institution. That's not a bad thing, but the danger is that we can become institutionalised and we then see things through the eyes of um, a hierarchy or a democracy or uh, constitutions and uh, denominations and congregations rather than as a living body or as a living organism. But the main problem with this is that society in general sees Christian, the Christian church as an institution. And if institutions are on the nose in society... Think of how we think about the government. Think of how we think about banking. Think about how we uh, reflect on health care. So if they're all on the nose in society, then if they see the church as an institution, the church is going to be on the nose in society. We can do what we like in the building. You know, we can have the best of everything. I mean, for goodness sake, I can remember when international roast was a good coffee to serve after church. But now we've got barista machines, you know. I mean, this is just amazing. <laughs> but it doesn't really change anything, does it? It doesn't change society's perception to the church. And the problem is that then we inside the building can also become institutionalised so that the focus becomes the AGM, the office bearers, rather than a living organism, and we can miss what Jesus comes to bring, and that is not the gospel of the church, but the gospel of the kingdom. Please, again, hear clearly from the book of Ephesians. The church is a, a wonderful assembly. It's a body, and Jesus is the head. It's a masterpiece, and he's the painter. It's a, a, a functioning family, and he's a father. 
It, it's a mobile temple and he's the cornerstone and the capstone. It's, it's a, a glorious bride and he's the bridegroom. It's a powerful army and he's the commander in chief. So the church is all of those wonderful things, but those things only exist to carry out the mandate of the king and his kingdom. And when we get that back the front, everything goes askew. So we don't have a church-shaped view of the kingdom, but we have a kingdom-shaped, kingdom-fashioned view of the church. The church only, only, only exists to carry out what King Jesus brings and who King Jesus is and what King Jesus' heart is. See, our institutional culture uh, in society at large is, is competitive, exclusive, inhibiting, performance-oriented about rights and what's in it for me. Whereas Jesus came and created a kingdom or brought in a kingdom that was engaging, welcoming, adventurous, empowering, releasing, healing, restoring, and invigorating. Jesus came to Galilee, Mark 1, 14 to 15, proclaiming the good news of God. That's the gospel. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The word repent in the original language, the Greek, is a compound word, which means it's one word made up of two words, metanoia. Meta meaning after, noia meaning think or mind. So it means to think after. Primarily, it has very little to do with contrition for sin. But what it means is to have a rethink. So the reason we associate it with sin is because uh, the New Testament later on in Paul's writings says, have a look at your life, see where you are missing the mark as far as God is concerned, and have a rethink about who you are in relation to him and who he is in relation to you. Jesus isn't talking about sin here, or if he is, it's about the sin of missing the kingdom. He is saying, there's a new king on the block, and it's me. I want you to rethink everything you've thought before. You see, when the Caesar of the day and Israel was under, or Judea was under a Roman rule, when a Caesar of the day was inaugurated, at the Caesar's festival of inauguration, uh, and this can be catalogued, the Caesar would stand up and say, here is the good news of what life will look like in my kingdom. And then would produce a list that inevitably meant more tyranny, more foreign domination. So Jesus, who is apolitical, in other words, not political at all, comes and makes actually a line in the sand statement by aping or mimicking the statement of the, the Caesars, the, the, the then known, the ruler of, of most of the then known world. And, and he says, here's the good news of my kingdom. Here's how things are going to be in my kingdom. I want you to rethink everything you've thought before. And so the invitation for us is to rethink our church life, our Christian walk, our discipleship from the perspective of the kingdom of God forward rather than from church backwards. So Jesus talks of the kingdom as a place of receiving, not just a place of acquiring 
from the perspective of trusting, not just striving. And he modeled this. It says in Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So that the people, by Jesus' very presence, by his parables, by his teaching, which, which they said is a teaching with authority, and now by his actions where people's uh, lives were restored, they, they were forced to have a rethink. Who is this guy? And what is this kingdom he's talking about? And I can understand his words, sort of, but how can he do that stuff? Everything I've thought before is now being turned upside down. That's what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus. So there's the expanse of the kingdom, but that means nothing unless you and I get to see life through the lens of the kingdom. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's simply what it means. To see life through the lens of the kingdom means following Jesus. Not your bank account, not your political party. Your political party is important, but your political vote comes because of your kingdom perspective. You see, when the kingdom of God is ushered into our lives and we follow him, he, he is at the centre of everything. It's not like Jesus is one piece of the pie but he's at the centre of the pie chart and our politics, our relationships, our family life, our education, our political life, our diet and health and exercise, all of that flows out of the central piece, which is Jesus, who says, I'm a king and as a king, I have claim on your life, but don't be concerned because I come to bring you the Father's heart. Then it says they were astounded at his teaching for he taught as one having authority. To see life through the lens of the kingdom means that we know that Jesus and Jesus alone has authority and that one day we'll be face to face with that ultimate authority when we leave this world and so the invitation is to follow him now and to submit in a, in a, in a freeing way to, to the wonder of the rule and reign of Jesus knowing that his authority is always exercised for good. And then when they found him, they said to him in verse 37, everyone is searching for you. I love that. We're still in Mark chapter 1. He gets down to business very quickly, doesn't he? There's, there's no time in Mark's gospel, the first of the gospels to be written, uh, written down. Peter was apparently the, um, the, the history behind Mark's writing. And, and all of a sudden, we're only up to verse 37. Everyone is searching for Jesus because that's what a rethink does. A rethink has you searching, it has you investigating, it has you inquiring, it has you asking questions that you haven't asked before. And to see life through the lens of the kingdom is simply about changing your questions. Rather than, why is everything going so wrong? To, Father, I wonder what the outcome of this will be. You see how a change in question opens you up to the lens of possibility in God's kingdom rather than to the lens of negativity. Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country. People came to him from every quarter. I'm just showing those verses to, say, to, to show you what, what, what explosion happened when Jesus came and brought the good news of the kingdom. It was absolutely amazing. Some of you have heard this story before. In fact, the longer I come here, you'll hear many of my stories before. Uh, and this one goes back quite a long, long way. 
to when uh, Case Wessling, who you'll see uh, presiding over communion later on, and I were coming back from Uganda where we'd been on, on a mission trip with a group of people from this community. And we wanted to go and see uh, a mate of mine in the southwest of Germany called, called Wolfgang. And uh, Wolfgang had done some conferences here. And we were staying at his place. When, when Wolfgang was here, we took him to Sizzlers. And we said, not Sizzlers, sorry. Um, uh, used to be on Northeast Road there, big steak place. That, that one. Hog's breath, thank you. And we said, we said, here's our mate from Germany, give him the biggest steak that you have. And they said, ah, oh, yes, we will do this. And they bought the steak and put it on Wolfgang's plate and he looks at it and goes, you call this a steak? <laughs> but he's got a long memory because it was about three years later that Case and I turn up to his place and he puts these, he puts aside a cow on the barbecue and there's flames going everywhere and Case leans across and says, just shut up and eat it. This is going to be the toughest bit of meat you've ever encountered. Well, it was amazing. But he's got a long memory because when he put it on our plate, he goes, this is a steak. <laughs> and uh, over too much red wine and German beer, he said to us, what do you want to do when you're here? Because uh, I said, well, we're close to Switzerland. I wouldn't mind going to Switzerland. And when you were in Australia uh, at the conference, you said uh, you would like to talk about the politics of the kingdom, but you didn't have time to go into that. Uh, sorry, the economics of the kingdom but you didn't have time to go into that. And I said, I'd like to hear about kingdom economics. And he said, ah, you can't know about kingdom economics without talking about kingdom politics. You see, I was thinking, you know, Labour, Liberal, Greens, Democrat, Republican, Tories, stuff like that. And so, like only Peter can, I said, there's no politics in the kingdom. And he goes, excuse me, you do not know your Bible very well. He said, I am not talking about party politics. I am talking about Isaiah chapter 9. The government shall be upon his shoulder and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Oh. In other words, of the kingdom of God, there shall only be increase. So the next day we talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about it every moment of every day. He challenged us. He, he pulled the carpet out from underneath our presumptions. In between chocolate and beer, which strangely do go together, uh, we, 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 we covered just about every topic of the kingdom. He challenged Case and he said, Case, what do you do in Australia? And Case says, I'm a butcher. He, he says to Case, why should you have a butchering job when there are other people unemployed in your country? He says, you have your reward in heaven. Give someone else your job now. Don't you know the kingdom? Now, he was stirring, but he was stirring us well. And we went to bed king size bed, sorry Debbie, uh, we didn't hold hands, and we were like two kids on camp talking till about one o'clock in the morning because our hearts and minds were full of the kingdom of God, yet this was totally new to us, and we woke up early and we went for a walk in a little section of the Black Forest, and I got to a bit and I grabbed Case's arm and I said, Case, excuse me mate, I've got to do this, and this is exactly what I did. Jesus, I've called you many things before. I've called you Saviour, I've called you Lord, and that you are. But I can't ever remember having called you King. And so I acknowledge now that you are my King, and I submit to your kingdom rule and reign. And I got up. It didn't feel particularly emotional. Case said later on that my eyes were shining, but it could have been the sun. Later that day, I journaled on uh, our flight back 
and uh, it started uh, a process that changed the course of Julie's and my lives, and I haven't regretted one moment of it. I've done that a couple of times since. Once when we were in Japan um, with a small group of people uh, looking to plant uh, a house church movement, and I was just so overwhelmed by all the gates in Japan and the demonic struggle that there is over there, more obvious than here. The same as here, but different. And how hard it is, and sort of having this battle. How, how can your kingdom take place and be planted here? How, how can it expand and grow? And so by the banks of a river in Osaka, I got down on my knees and said, you're king, not me. And then once a couple of years ago, on a little laneway down the back of Mount Barker in the middle of a jog, truth be known, I was too puffed to run up the hill, and uh, just going through some personal things in my heart and my mind and uh, health and stuff like that, I think, why am I anxious about health and other things that I can't control when you're king? And I got down on my knees and surrendered to Jesus as king. They were pivotal moments for me because they reminded me to see life through the lens of the king and his kingdom. Thirdly, see and experience the joy of the kingdom. There's an old saying that says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. One more time. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. There are so many things that we try to keep, that we try to grab hold of, that we try to clutch. I did a smart thing. Julie and I did a smart thing last week. We went and saw a financial advisor. The only regret I had is that we didn't do it about 10 years ago. (laughs) But apparently you've got to have money to go and see someone. So uh, we went last week. And uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do, but it's also a reminder that Every bit of advice you get given, it's all about stuff that you can't keep. Because as Barry Clare, who some of you know, used to say, there's no such thing as a tow bar on a hearse. (laughs) And when you see life through the perspective of the kingdom, and when you see life through the lens of the kingdom, you realise that there's stuff that we're trying to keep. But it doesn't really matter when Jesus gives us his kingdom... And there's stuff there that we can't lose. Do you know the Beatitudes reminds us of this? And it's interesting that in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, the kingdom is mentioned twice uh, in in those Beatitudes. I'm not going to read them all. But on the one hand is stuff that we think we can keep. And in the other side is the stuff that we cannot lose. And it's about this upside down kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy, and so on. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is yours, and it's a glorious kingdom. You know, this is Jesus on the cross looking out for his mother. 
ushering a thief into paradise and saying, Father, forgive them. He wasn't fixated on his rights. He wasn't, woe is me. He wasn't ripping out the nails saying, right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and you guys are going to get your just desserts. No, he surrendered himself to the Father because he knew that's where life is. He had a kingdom view and a kingdom perspective in life and in death. And in death, he gives you and me his kingdom perspective so that in our death, we get to have a kingdom perspective. This is Paul and Silas singing songs in a Roman prison. And then eventually seeing the jailer and his whole family come to faith. And we realize that later on, the Philippians is one of the, the, the hallmark congregations in the New Testament. Why? Because they didn't mind giving up what they couldn't keep because of that which they couldn't lose. And the kingdom of God is good news because it's a kingdom of love that releases joy. Did you hear the verse that Georgie read earlier on from Romans 14, 17? The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure and hidden in a field. When someone found and hid it, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. I don't think for once you hear that bloke going around going, oh darn, I had to sell everything I had to get all these millions and millions. I had to sell my $200,000 beach shack to get these millions and millions. No, it, he, he never thinks about it again. Same with this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Never once does he focus on what he couldn't keep, but he focused on that which he couldn't lose. It's like Martin Luther in a mighty fortress. You know, the kingdom ours remaineth. Though devils all the world should feel all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, they cannot overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl, feel as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged for error undone. The kingdom, ours, remaineth. It's the one thing that we can't lose. And so the invitation is to start seeing life from the kingdom perspective. And so seeing and experience the good news of the kingdom may leave you ruined yet glad. What do I mean ruined? There's a good friend of mine, Craig Kirkby, works with Nigel Knowles uh, in Encounter Youth now. Lives in Melbourne, commutes across, probably shifting across with his family to... Uh, to Adelaide, uh, comes from South Africa, where he was the senior pastor of one of the largest uh, churches uh, in Johannesburg, and the Holy Spirit showed them that they'd been messing with the bride of Christ. You know, they'd been, they'd been tizzying up church, making it socially acceptable, and Jesus one day said, get your hands off my bride. And he said, I discovered the king and his kingdom, and he said, it ruined me. I left my job. Uh, ruined me, but it left me glad. Not ruined him as in destroyed him, but it ruined me for the ordinary. He said, I no longer wanted to settle for religion. I no longer wanted to read someone else's devotions. I wanted Holy Spirit to speak to me. I was no longer satisfied just saying, oh, good, Peter's on today. We'll get a nice sermon. He said, I wanted the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and my life. I was ruined for anything else, but I've never been more glad. And so the kingdom may ruin you, but it will make you glad. I mean, even on ordinary things, next month you go back to two services. Some of you may not like that. Yeah, so what? Some of your preferences may be ruined, but when you've got the kingdom, you're glad. And so, you know, hierarchically, constitutionally, 
uh, denominationally, things institutionally, things may not look good. But when you surrender to the king and his kingdom, you can only be glad. So uh, what's a response for you? Three possibilities. Read Matthew, Mark or Luke, noting and pondering every time the kingdom is talked about. Either the kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, You probably won't find it right at the very, very beginning of Matthew and Luke, but once you get into Jesus' teaching, you know there's whole chapters Matthew 13, Mark 4. Someone said to me, Mark 4, no more. That's all you need. You know, where, where Jesus just tells parable and parable and parable again and again about the kingdom. Don't listen to me preach about it. Have a look. Do you know Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts 1, that's the beginning, right? Jesus spoke to them after his resurrection for 40 days and 40 nights concerning the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 28, the last verses of Acts. Paul stayed with them for two years, speaking from morning to night about the kingdom of God. Who's told us this stuff? You know, that's the bookends of the book of Acts is all about the kingdom of God. So read that. Find my book suddenly, either on Kindle or on your bookshelf, or get one from me, incrediblyloved.com. You can order one. Or if you don't want to buy one, email the office, and I will arrange for a free PDF of that uh, chapter which they can email out to you, because this is not about selling books. It's about you getting into the kingdom. And read chapter 8 on the kingdom of God. Chapter 7 beforehand on the Father heart of God's not bad either. And you saw my response. That's what I did. Okay, consider some way that you can surrender to the kingship of Jesus, to the expanse and the good news of the kingdom. You don't have to do what I did, although it's not bad. Uh, but is there some way that Holy Spirit will call you to respond? By yourself, go to the beach, go for a walk, um, go to the banks of the Osaka River (laughs) and have a physical posture that represents you saying, Jesus, I not only see the expanse of your kingdom, I not only now see life through the lens of your kingdom, but I choose to be ruined for the ordinary and glad because of you. Amen. So thank you, Father, for showing us your heart in the person of Jesus and giving us the kingdom. Holy Spirit, empower us to put this word into practice so that we may be ruined for the ordinary and glad forever. Let's stand and respond.